after last week's show, I started thinking about the picture is worth a thousand words idea, which yeah, that you talked. About. I don't fully rescind, but <laughs> I think it's a little bit more nuanced than I may have presented it in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. It just was a, a thought that I had that I wanted to get out, but I hadn't actually thought all the way through. Right. Yeah. And the general idea is that a thousand words doesn't seem like a lot of words to describe a picture. You know, like if I was looking at a picture of my daughters, I could think of way more than a thousand words to describe that picture. Right. It's a beautiful thought. Right. Exactly. But my counterpoint is that if I was like a student and I had a teacher that was like, you know, the saying a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I want you to put that to the test and write a thousand words about this picture. Like I would hate that teacher. Right. I would be pissed at that teacher because then all of a sudden a thousand words is like insurmountable. Well, I mean, isn't it because you're a rebel and somebody's just telling you what to do? So you're (laughs) reacting. It seems like it's more of an indictment against somebody telling you to do something. Potentially, but it seems, I I guess to me, it seems more situational. The, The saying, which I think. So, so you'd say a picture is worth a thousand words but I want to see the picture first. Sure. Yeah. Show me the picture and then I'll tell you if it's worth right. a thousand wor- yeah. words. And this I think your- it just goes to the point of like, none of these uh, idioms work, right? Like you can think of a million ways that a picture is worth a thousand words or it isn't worth a thousand words. Same thing with like sleeping like a baby right now. If you're listening very closely you could potentially hear one of my daughters sleeping sleeping. like a baby. And what that sounds like is she's screaming her head off right now. (laughs) Right. But then, you know, depending on who you talk to, they do have a baby that just slept all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, but I guess I would say that the ideas behind the idiom are still true. Whether or not the idiom itself is, you know, foolproof, the idea that a picture, a good picture is worth, how you know more words than is worth the effort is it's true to describe it just show me the picture sure yeah, yeah that's true yeah that's true so i mean i think that's what idioms are getting at sure i just wanted to <clears throat> just wanted correct to myself yeah oh that's very big of you <laughs> so last oh this last weekend yeah of Elise gave me a haircut outside your house. Oh, okay. This was yesterday. Yesterday. Right. Feels like longer. Uh-huh. Um, and so we tried in the backyard, you know, to have some semblance of privacy or whatever. None of your outlets worked. We had to get a a um, extension cord and go out in the front yard. Right. And you have neighbors and... I was kind of facing them. We kind of put the stool down, some looking their way. Now, I want it to be said before I really go into this that I, I've, I've seen in that neighbor for years. Mm-hmm. Like, they've been over there for a while. Mm-hmm. So I, I know kind of more about, what, about these people than what I'm going to say in this story. Mm-hmm. But even if I don't mean to like impugn these people, cause I, I don't know them personally. Right. So which neighbor is it? The one, 
this across the street? No, no, no. The right one with next the dog. To, yes. Okay. Well, quotations right. dog. <laughs> the one with the mutant dog. The mutant dog. Yes. Okay. And so, and so look, even if I'm not going to extrapolate about these people, he, to me, represents a type of person. Mm-hmm. You know, the type of person who, like, your discussion of gun rights is like pointing a loaded weapon at them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just saying, I think we should maybe rethink large clips. Right. He might have the right to shoot you. Right. So people like that, that's who I'm talking about. Right. So I'm, I'm getting my haircut and this truck pulls up and this guy gets out and then they like, and they yell the entire time they're talking mm-hmm. like, they're yelling a greeting or whatever. They walk really slow and then they like embrace, but it's not like the hot, the, the side thing or like the bro kind of clap pull in for, it's mm-hmm. like a full on like embrace mm-hmm. where they're doing the thing where you're like hugging and kind of looking at each other too. Like it's not just like a regular hug. It's like mm-hmm. kind of holding each other and, and really close, like belly to belly you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> and I look away for a second, like just a second. And I look up and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And all I see are four feet sticking out from underneath this guy's truck. And I've <laughs> never seen two grown men go from like a standing position to underneath a truck yeah. so quickly. Yeah, He'd been working on his truck all day. Is that what? Yeah. yeah. And he's like talking about exhaust and diesel and you right. never f- see a truck in the country that has exhaust like this or whatever. Right. And they're yelling and they're out from underneath the truck and he's showing them like all this other stuff. They're walking, they're constantly pacing, like walking in out of the garage, backyard or whatever. Yeah. And after the whole event um, that we came over for, you know, dinner and all that stuff when we were leaving, they had gotten like two other guys and they were just standing outside still, like all drinking, just talking really loudly about mm-hmm. whatever. So extrapolating off of that, you know, this is the type of guy who I feel like if you said like i like art or i like uh books he'd see that as like an attack on his manliness let alone your own right right? he's like i could see him just being i'm not into that or you know the type of guy like he's not very nuanced he's not nuanced and and probably prides himself that he doesn't show any affection to his son Mm -hmm. you know like i'm proud of the fact that i've never told my son i love him making him a man or whatever at the same time i feel like I would never smush my wiener up against another guy's wiener <laughs> and then immediately get underneath a truck in a tight and close space with them like uh-huh. as quickly as possible. And then like spend the entire like hours together just talking nonsense and getting drunk together, you know? Yeah. Like I feel like we all just need to look at each other and be like, life is short, you know? Mm-hmm. Live and let live. But I feel like people like that, they don't allow you to, like, live the way you want to. Right. But they have no reflection on themselves to be like, your life is pretty, cra- you know, ridiculous. Right. right. They've got no reflection. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if I give my life to video games and movies right. or whatever, and I don't know how to fix a truck, I'm no less a man than somebody who embraces a man for way too long. <laughs> right. And, and he crawls under a truck with them. <laughs> crawling under a truck with them. Yeah, Um, my he's got all of those Alabama stickers on the back of his truck. He's a big Alabama fan. Yeah. And my mom is a huge Ohio State fan. 
but one when I was when I was getting doing some preparation for the show today, one thing I realized that I had been watching consistently every single day for a while now is um, Casey Neistat. That he's a filmmaker, like he's like an independent filmmaker, sort of like artistic New York type. He, him and his brother had a series on HBO, I believe. Okay, maybe that's why. Yeah, you would recognize him if you saw him. But he's been doing these vlogs. Every single day he releases like a nine, eight to ten minute video on YouTube. That's just kind of, it's like a, it's a video blog is exactly what it is. But for some reason, I've become like mesmerized with them. And they're (laughs) super good. And they're really entertaining. And they're usually just him sort of like traveling around New York City talking about what he's doing and kind of like kind of giving advice, but also just kind of talking about like personal stuff. And it just is interesting. He works a lot like he does a lot of work. So it's interesting to see what he's working on, what he's doing, how he does stuff like that. And what actually what got me uh, introduced to it was he did a video with one of the people from The Verge where he spray painted their Apple Watch gold to make it look like a gold Apple Watch. Mm. And so that's why I started watching it. But it's been pretty interesting. And it just is something that I never thought I would be watching. But I found myself like every morning I get to work and I'm like, oh, okay, there's a new one. And so it's every week or every, every day? Every day. Every day. Yeah. I mean, on Saturday and Sundays, I don't know because I don't check it on Saturdays and Sundays. I only do it when I'm at work. But I'm just like, here's... 10 minutes of my day that I can Here's another mark off my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, I haven't been watching much. So I, I texted you and I said, is there anything on Netflix I can watch? Cause I don't have anything to talk about for the show. And so you recommended um, a girl, a walks girl walks home alone at night. A, a girl walks home alone at night. Okay. Uh, and then right after that, you follow that up with not another teen movie is also on Netflix <laughs> because yesterday you were telling me about um, this like article you read. I got suckered. Right. Yeah. How you got suckered into watching it because someone was doing a retrospective on Chris Evans. Well, n- not even a retrospective. That's the only thing I can think of because right. I told you I got suckered into watching. You said, Why? I said, somebody wrote an article about not another teen movie. It stars Chris Evans, who's, you know, um, Captain America. Right. And the only thing I could think of is in honor of the new Avengers movie, they were doing like a retrospective on Chris Evans. But the piece is not seemingly tied to that larger piece. I don't know why that person watched this movie. Right. But the article had you convinced enough that you should go back and rewatch this movie. It was right? very convincing. So what I want to know, so I went back and I did not rewatch it, but I started it. I want to know what your thought was <laughs> after reading this long, it's very long. seemingly well-written, uh, uh, you know, tear down of not another teen movie. What was your first thought? when the movie opens up with like a five minute long vibrator scene. Yeah, no, it wasn't a teardown. It was a buildup. Right. It was a, 
it was a a shrine. It's that's what big, I mean. They're like it took it apart and was analyzing. Oh everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when it started with that, I thought, okay, we can only go uphill from here. <laughs> right. Like maybe, maybe the maybe the filmmakers are so smart that they're setting such a low bar <laughs> that everything from here on now is going to be like really gravy, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, man, I was wrong. And that <laughs> guy was wrong. Yeah. It's David Ehrlich. If you want to read just David Ehrlich, not another teen movie. He writes for a, a lot of, um, publications. I think this one was for little white lies. He mm-hmm. wrote an article for, he loves it. Mm-hmm. He loves that movie. And it's like, to me, it's a classic case of somebody overthinking the material. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. And I told you the one, it has one joke mm-hmm. that stayed with me that mm-hmm. still makes me laugh thinking about it. But that joke is not, I, I think it's just peculiar to me. I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. So I turned it off after that <laughs> opening scene because one, I realized this movie's terrible. Yep. And I also realized that I had seen it before. I was a little uncertain after you started questioning me if I'd seen it or not, but I had. I'd and you saw it in the theater? No, no, no. I didn't see it in the theater. But mm. when it was out, like maybe on DVD or something, but I, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in the theater. I don't think I would have seen it in the theater, but yeah, who knows? So anyways, the movie you did recommend, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's on Netflix. It's directed by a woman. Can't remember her name. But why did you? So why did you? Why did was this the movie that jumped out to you? Why did you recommend this? Uh, because I really want to see it. Uh-huh. And I just saw somebody tweet about it. Uh, this is a while ago or whatever. And Jarmusch came up. They're like, it's like Jim Jarmusch. It's very Jim Jarmuschian. Right. I mean, that makes sense. Right. And I'm I'm hit or miss on Jim Jarmusch, but more hit. Uh, there, there are Jim Jarmusch films that people are like, ugh, I hate this. I actually like, I usually like the ones that people dislike. I think the only Jim Jarmusch movie I love is Down by Law. And that movie is great. Yeah. Down by Law is great. Um, I actually like Coffee and Cigarettes. I never saw that. Um, that better be the name of it. Cigarettes um, and coffee. Yeah, say something like that. Same thing. Yeah, and uh, did you see Dead Man with Johnny Depp? Yes, that movie's terrible. Oh, no, it's not. Yes, Are it you is. kidding me? I love terrible. Dead Man. Terrible. I love it. It's great. <sighs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, agree, disagree. Yeah. All right. So, so tell me. Yeah, tell me about your uh, your viewing experience. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. It's so it's about uh, it's about a fictional town in Iran that is being sort of uh, haunted, I guess, by a vampire. Okay, and that's really it. There's no. I would say I really liked the movie. I like the the movie has a really good sense of style and direction and the music is great. The biggest problem that I had with it is that there's no 
like story, really. It's just this kind of like, and and li- I listened to an interview afterwards, which made a little bit more sense about it. But it's just it's kind of about this um, woman who's a vampire who's mm-hmm. living in this city, and there's really no like. There's no kind of real beginning or real end in terms of a narrative to the movie. I didn't feel like at least there certainly isn't an end. That's for sure. And the end I thought was one of the it was really disappointing. But listening to the interview, she talks about um, how she created this character and she's she's created all like 187 years of her existence, I think is what she said. And so there are comic books coming out about her or graphic novels or whatever. And they're doing all this other work. And so it makes sense in that. And I understand the appeal of it from like a writer's perspective, like having this character that you've created and then using different formats to explore this character, this character. But there isn't, like I said, there isn't really a story arc to follow. So it's just kind of like. It's like a it's like a Jim Jarmusch movie. It's it's interesting. And you're just kind of like watching characters um, and there's some really interesting visual stuff in there. It's black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Persian. It's spoken all in Persian. Uh, Do they use color at all in it? No, there's no okay. color. It's all black and white. And it looks great, but it's just this kind of boring. Mm-hmm. I thought at least. And like I said, that's because I felt like there's no real like, where is this going? What's, what's, why am I watching this guy? And even the, the female vampire who's the main character, she's not, she's not really treated as the main character. You're kind of, she's kind of the through line, I guess. You're seeing all these other characters. You're following all these other characters and she's running into all of them. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. you're not following her from scene to scene. You're f- jumping around the characters. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend it. And I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll like it. I mean, like I said, it's a good movie. It just is, for me, there just wasn't like a, there wasn't enough for me to like follow. You know what I mean? I just yeah. felt like it was kind of boring is not the right word because that's just so negative, but that is boring. There wasn't a lot to hold on to, I guess. <laughs> now is it because I feel like there, there are two types of boring. Like one is boring with a purpose that you can kind of watch and see and say, Oh, not a lot happens, but man, that was really good. Yeah. And the other one is boring, aimless. We were like, did they just realize, okay, my, my film shooting wise has 60 minutes in it and we need 30 more to make this a feature, you know? So would you say, is it boring, aimless or is it boring kind of purposefully? Uh, I definitely think it's purposeful i mean they're obviously not trying to be boring it just is what they're doing just is boring (laughs) and it's like i said it's it's the it's like a it's just as like a kind of like a character study except you know what i mean you're that's that's the thing that that i kept thinking throughout the movie and after it was over and this was more or less confirmed by my interview by the interview i listened to because the only thing they really talk about is the style. They talk about the history, the ideas for the character, all this stuff. I don't feel like there is a message being explored or like a, uh, I don't feel like there's any subtext to the movie. You know what I mean? I feel like it is purely about this 
vampire, vampire woman. And that's it. And it just is like, this is what her life is like in this town. And that is the hour, two hour long movie. But it's not like it's actually saying this about the human condition. Right. Or it's actually saying this about how women are treated in Iran. You know what I'm saying? It just is like, which it, not all movies have to do that, but it certainly can make things interesting. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I guess that's what I was getting at. We watched Under the Skin together. And I feel like Under the Skin is a movie that is boring. Yeah, but it is so visually weird that you can't help but be like reeled in. But and it's so thematically rich, like the boring parts are kind of part of it. You know, watching Scarlett Johansson cruise, you know, the streets, pick guys up, have these conversations with them is is exploring you know, aspects of humanity and sexuality and all that stuff. I felt like that film and this creature's alienation and this attempt to connect, like it was all there. So even in the parts where I'm like, not much is happening right now, I'm still engaged. Yeah. Versus a film that is just kind of like, maybe we had this idea, but it feels like the filmmakers didn't have enough kind of thematic intention right. or story intention. And so you end up just following these people around. You're like, all right, either the characters need to be really amazing or this is a misfire. This yeah. is like, this needs a little more. So I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Girl walks and, home. and the last thing I'll say is as my, as an actual experience watching it, I was on board for like the first hour and 15 minutes. After that point, I was kind of like, okay, is something going to happen? Like, is there something I'm just not getting? I'm not reading into on this, but, and maybe it's like a, uh, a situation like a resolution. Is that what that the name yeah, of the movie was? Maybe it's just like that. Eventually I'll stumble on the interview <laughs> or the post or whatever that completely explains everything. And, you know, reminds me of how much of a moron I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I haven't found it yet. I would still recommend you watch it because I'm sure you'll have a different take on it. Well, I think that's as strong a recommendation as you're going to hear from Justin. (laughs) Yeah. So run, do not walk to this movie. Um, Yesterday, It's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's from like November of last year. Yeah, it's relatively... Yeah, when I looked up podcasts to listen to, it seems like a lot of people are talking about it right now. So I don't know what's going on. I think it just came on Netflix. Okay, okay. Um, so yesterday you were telling me about a movie called Duke of Burgundy. Yep. Okay. So that's why I watched the Duke of Burgundy and it's by a filmmaker named Peter Strickland who made another film called Barbarian Sound Studio, which is like a Italian giallo, like I was going to say rip off. It's not a rip off. It's like an homage Mm -hmm. where you have these like, you know, um, Dario Argento kind of 70s horror films, you know, super stylized Mm -hmm. and kind of seedy, you know, and exploitative and all that stuff. And so Pierre Strickland made Barbarian Sound Studio as like a nod to those. But Barbarian Sound Studio looks amazing. It really Mm -hmm. does. But I couldn't follow (laughs) any of the story pretty much, you know. And maybe that's part of the point, but 
I lose interest in films like that after a point. Like yeah. I want to say, you know, whether you, we are just exploring the psychological breakdown of this character, you can't put me too much in their head because if they're going crazy, then I'm just feeling like, okay, I'm going crazy, <laughs> right. but then roll the credits or whatever. I get yeah. it. You know what I mean? And so the film looked amazing, but it didn't really connect with me. And then he made the Duke of Burgundy and everything that I, I heard about this film made me predisposed to feel one way about it. Like I remember the first two words I remember linking to this movie after it played some film festivals mm-hmm. was uh, human toilet. And <laughs> I was immediately like, okay, I'm not, not interested. Right. But as people started watching it, it started coming back that, I mean, it was like universally loved. Like people were flipping out over this. And basically the film is about two women um, who live together and one is a maid. The other one owns this house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have this kind of weird relationship where the maid is kind of held um, to this high standard and anything that she messes up on, she's like punished for or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and soon it's revealed in the film that they actually have a relationship, this kind of like BDSM dominant sub kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this is how they're playing out their relationship. So mm-hmm. one is, so they're playing parts, right? Um, and it kind of explores their relationship through that, but it's also told really elegantly. Like it is filmed amazingly and um, it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And as kind of seedy as the ideas are in the film, it's shot in such a way like there is no like scene nudity at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very sexual, but he's he's trying to say something else, right? He's not making exploitation film. Right. <clears throat> Even though the concept of human toilets comes up more than once. <laughs> like it's not just a passing... Uh-huh reference and it kind of speaks to the film is funny like it is it's funny it actually says something about relationships i i probably um had my had a good reaction to i I feel weird i was gonna say in my review on on letterbox i Mm. write after i watch films i actually said something about the film that i actually like went back and read and was like okay that's actually I got something from that Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And for me, it kind of speaks to, you know, the, the need in relationships for you to come together with another person and allow their, their weaknesses and their strengths to play out in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like we need to give our, our partners the space to kind of be who they are. And we need to support that and deal with, all aspects of their personality. It's mm-hmm. not just about somebody being right all the time or being good, right? Mm-hmm. Or responding to you in the right way every single time because it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like you need the ability to be human in these relationships. And then the question of, can you live with that amount of humanness? You know, right. can you make the adjustments that you need or are there demands of that person's personality such that you're extending yourself and they're maybe extending themselves, mm-hmm. you know, too far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, because it takes its time and it's so well shot and told, it kind of settles on those themes 
And so you can really contemplate them. Like it's not about packing in more and more and more. So it's like you get one idea and then you move on to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I really ended up really responding well to it. I, I really, really do um, like that film mm-hmm. and um, I would recommend it um, with the knowledge that, you know, and there, there are other touches too. Like if you're, if you're paying attention and I kind of only noticed this in reading reviews afterwards, but there, there are no men in the film at all. Mm-hmm. Like the absence and there's touches like that where he, you know, the director made the choice. Like I'm not having a male presence at all in this, in this universe that just give the whole tone of this film, something different and interesting that you can't even place your finger on. But mm-hmm. then I, when you get to the end, it's like when we watched no country for old men together, I remember the first time we watched it in the theater, I was like blown away by it. Mm-hmm. And only at the very end do I remember, I remember returning to, and when they're playing music over the end credits, I was like, I don't think that movie had any music. Like, I think mm-hmm. we're only getting music at the end credits. And that blew my mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like that subtle touch added to your experience in a way that you couldn't define. Right. And in Duke of Burgundy, there are a bunch of touches like that where he's making decisions of leaving things out or including things that are enhancing your engagement of the film mm-hmm. and the atmosphere of the film. That, I mean... Again, it, it makes me glad that I didn't go into film school to be a director because I'd watch <laughs> I'd watch a film like Duke of Burgundy and I'd be like, okay, that's right. a that's a guy who has control of the cinematic universe right. in a way that I I probably wouldn't. I'd just be like, okay, stand in front of the camera, say your lines. Like, right. I think we got it. Uh, but he's he's like curating every frame, right? And that's v- on VOD. Yes. Okay. And I'm guessing you watch that alone. You didn't watch that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I was going to say this too. I actually would like to watch this with Elise. I mean, I think her biggest fault might be that it's, it's kind of slow Mm -hmm. in its pacing, Mm -hmm. but if you can get on its rhythm, probably have some wine before, you Uh know, kind of calm yourself down, loosen up a little, loosen up a bit, turn it on and, Uh And enjoy it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's good. Yeah. Uh, so the other movie you watched is American Sniper. And then I followed Duke of Burgundy up with American Sniper. Back to back? No, oh, not, okay. not, not back to back. But I, I was actually sick on Thursday. Oh, so okay. I was home and I was just basically like, well, what's, what's available? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I finally got caught up on American Sniper. And Clint Eastwood, I love Clint Eastwood, but he's been hit or miss for a while with me. Mm-hmm. His films, I've never seen a drastic change from film to film with somebody. You know, he's like schizophrenic in his old age. What was the movie that he did about the grumpy old white guy? Grand Torino. Grand Torino. Did you oh, watch that? Yeah, I watched Grand Torino. The ending Torino. of that movie is ridiculous. That movie's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's his Lady in the Water. That's why I, watching, I was like, this is. It's like you watch Lady in the Water and said, I want to do a movie like that. Right. But the ending of that movie is straight up like a old white guy reenacting Scarface. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't fully remember. Shooting at sure, Mexicans, yeah. right? He's shooting at like gang. He shows up outside of this gang house with an arsenal and just starts shooting at everybody, right? Yeah. 
Or is that some kind of weird dream? Maybe it's, I don't fully, I remember watching me like, this is ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that's the end. Yeah. And a half watching. So American Sniper. American Sniper is a weird film. Uh Like it is, first off, you know, I went in with all the baggage of what people were saying about it, which was mainly, you know, how dare you celebrate the life of this guy who it was way more complicated. Reprehensible. Yeah. This is what I say to that. And, And I think the film supports this. The guy had PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know, he was dealing with a lot of stuff from mm-hmm. his PTSD. So is it is it kind of how do you approach a guy like that? Sure, but th- there are also uh I, the uh, another thing that I saw people first of all, I don't know the full backstory. I don't know the backstory. His name's Chris Kyle, right? Yeah. I don't know his backstory, but from what I heard, yeah. Crazy after the war, some people had problems with uh, the way his uh, intentions before joining the war were displayed. You know, there are differing accounts on that. Right. And there are also a lot of people have problems with just the politics of the movie and how the cause of the war is portrayed and, you know, it it is it's from what I heard, it's very muddy in the way it links events. And it's kind of saying this led to that, which led to this, which is why we're in the war, which is completely justified, which a lot of people don't agree with. Yeah. I you know, I I can see where some people are saying that. And I'm linking what I'm doing is I'm linking it to his his specific story, mm-hmm. right? So is Clint Eastwood making a larger statement or is he making the statement of of you know Chris Kyle, right? Like what led Chris Kyle? Did the attack on 9-11 it, you know inflame his patriotism and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, potentially. I think it inflamed everybody's patriotism, you know? Now to show that as a actual event, is it uh is it Eastwood making a broader point mm-hmm. about like this is why we're in this war and it is justified? I, I don't think so. I didn't I didn't get that sense. And you're Okay, but that also so that also raises the question of Eastwood's politics, you know, of his infamous yelling at an empty chair at a Republican national convention. Yeah, so you know which side of the fence he falls on. But 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 this is where this is where I guess I I would argue that how much of a filmmaker's personal life should be evaluated when you look at their art and people I think can selectively use that right where I could get upset about any portrayal of females or whatever in Woody Allen film. And that's what I was just about to say. How ballsy is it of Woody Allen after all of this controversy to make another movie about a really old guy falling in love with a really young girl? Like you know, he does not care. He, yeah, he he doesn't <laughs> care. And Roman Polanski and and all this stuff, right? Like I feel like it, like it's all selective, you know. So for me, I choose not to bring in a filmmaker's personal life into into their films, right? I'd like to keep them as separate as I can. So if I just look at American Sniper, the film, if I just respond to the film, right? What I'm saying is, what I'm seeing is a portrayal of. Chris Kyle's story, you know, and I'm, I'm not making larger connections like that as much as I am 
trying to figure out more about this character. Chris Kyle, not, not even the real Chris Kyle either, right? right? I'm talking about separating everything, like dealing with the character on screen, how he is, you know? Yeah, that just seems like purpose being purposefully naive to me. But no, I, I'm not saying that I'm not going to factor in what's going on around yeah. like the situation. I, I'm, I'm informed, right? I know about the Chris Kyle story. I know about Clint Eastwood and his politics. But if I want to talk about a film, I'm going to talk about the film. If I want to talk about the issues surrounding the film, then I'll talk about those. But I think you can have two separate conversations, right? Sure. But it just seems to me like I can understand separating Clint Eastwood's politics and the message of Million Dollar Baby because they're not necessarily intertwined. But a film when, about you know the war in Iraq, right? Exactly. It's when you're little, watching a movie about that is pretty, you know, pretty closely tied to politics, you, I feel like you can't ignore the filmmaker's outspoken politics. This is something that he's gone, you know, he's purposefully record. made a, people in the country aware of. Yeah, so this is what I'll say. The, the larger point that I, that I was trying to get at with with that film is I feel like Eastwood addresses, you know, the issues that Chris Kyle had a lot more directly in the film than people who are just responding against it, saying that it's jingoistic and stuff like that, mm. aren't really taking into account. I really do think that he does a good job of setting early on, setting up very early on that, you know, war is hell, that it affects you and that Chris Kyle was very affected, you know, by what he Mm -hmm. did in the war. One of the very first situations that you're seeing of him in a wartime situation is of him having to come to terms with shooting a child. Mm -hmm. Is that the scene from the trailer? Probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that actually happens twice where he has to potentially (laughs) shoot a child. (laughs) Right. Right now. Is th- that's the very first action scene, you know? So is Clint Eastwood saying like, "Watch Chris Kyle blow this kid away"? It's awesome, yeah. You know, or is he saying like, "Look what he had to do," right? Like these are the situations he was faced with. Mm-hmm. Now, how are you going? How are you supposed to process that? You know, and so for him to live through what he did in those war zones and come out crazy or mixed up. To me, I'm like, okay, yeah, of course he did, mm-hmm. you know? Now, I think what people have a problem with is the ending of the film. Because I think everybody, you know, who's watching the film is going to say, like, yeah, he does a a decent job of showing, you know, the horrors of war and not making it, like, heroic. And then at the end, it kind of gets heroic. And the feeling that I have about that is, and this is the problem of taking on a a real story, mm-hmm. you know, which is probably that's the problem I have with Eastwood is like, just tell a fictional story based on his life, but don't call it the Chris Kyle story mm-hmm. because then you are beholden to a man's memory, right? Like he has children. There is no way that I would allow any of my family member stories to be told on film when they were as complicated as Chris Kyle was, mm-hmm. seems seemed to have been. And be okay with them being like, oh, by the way, we're also going to include 
all the crazy stuff that he said. Because this needs to be an accurate account. Uh-huh. It's like, no, it's a fictional retelling, right? right? So at the end, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, like, in again, this fictional, muddled already storyline that you're editing and cutting for your own story's sake to be like, but we really do feel like in, in the middle of this fictional story, we need to be true to what happened and say, your dad was insane. Mm. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, the family's going to be watching this. and. Mm. Other people are going to be watching this who knew Chris Kyle. Are you, are you then going to be like, this is the format where I really need to speak truth into this man's life or whatever. Mm. Now the impact of what this story could mean to somebody who does not know Chris Kyle's story, that that is another issue that we can, we can talk about, you know, but if we're just talking about the filmmaking to me. I, I, I think that it's more nuanced than what people are giving it credit for. And the way that films work as a totality, I think the people who are getting really bent out of shape are are the ones who like put other questionable content films aside mm-hmm. because they don't view them as harmful as something that's touching on the issue of the military and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It, it's because it's a personal issue to them. I just feel like, you know, you need to be able to either let's talk about the impact of film as a whole. And not just military films, you know, but I feel like people say like, oh, movies don't have a real world impact unless it's a military film. Well, then it totally is real world impact and we need to censor them and we need to keep them honest or we need to whatever. Right. It's like all the debate about Zero Dark Thirty. Did it support torture or did it not? And what Mm. I I just feel like saying it's it's a fictional retelling like okay they're they're editing stuff but were people tortured sure did somebody in the midst of torture tumble out with useful information probably is there any problem with that there shouldn't be we should all be big enough to kind of filter through the story right research our ourselves or whatever and deal with the art as it's presented mm-hmm. so with American Sniper, I didn't want to spend all the time, but I think I'll, I'll probably move on. I guess that's those are the feelings I have after watching the film. The film itself is also really bizarre, and I, I wish we could probably talk off mic. You need to see it. I'm going to recommend <laughs> it just to just to see. Like, there's a scene where he has a pistol walking around his house. Like, there are just weird little touches that I don't know what Clint Eastwood's trying to say uh-huh. with them. They're really odd and bizarre but i think again speak to him trying to find ways to inject the reality of chris kyle's situation Mm -hmm. in this broader story where he has to be jingoistic at the end right he has to be like rah rah how does the movie end i'm not going to watch it how does the movie end the movie ends the way chris kyle's life ends he gets shot by a veteran uh, oh, really? shooting oh okay so that's how the movie actually ends well yeah and he, he doesn't show it he shows it, it's like chris kyle's leaving and it's very pretentious and people have a problem with the fact that it seems like his life takes a turn when he starts helping veterans that all of his issues with ptsd are like gone and i don't think they are i think they're masked and i think i think eastwood is trying to portray that but it ends with actual footage that the family i guess shot of when they were taking Chris Kyle's body to be buried and people like came out and lined streets and hung banners and waved American flags. And it's like thousands of people came out to salute Chris Kyle on the way to, you know, being laid to rest. So does it just end with text? It ends with text. And it ends with that home fit, uh, right. home footage of right. people coming out to like honor Chris Kyle. And I think what people are upset with is like, you're honoring a man who 
had issues, right? Mm. But I want to say, yeah, he had PTSD, and of course he had issues. But also, it's a fictional story, right? Well, it's also a little twisted that his claim to fame is having the most sniper kills ever, right? But I mean, isn't that's a very... I won't get into it, but that is a very weird thing to celebrate. Well, again, I mean, I would say it's kind of a very knuckleheaded thing to celebrate. I, I don't, like. well, see, I would disagree with that. I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not jingoistic about the military or the war in Iraq or whatever. But if somebody's fighting, I've, I have nothing but respect for anybody who goes out into a war zone and executes their job. Right? Sure, but at the same time, I wouldn't then celebrate how many people they killed individually. You know what I mean? Like that seems like putting a number on it and putting the title of like the most is very morbid, right? It's It's like, like I understand. Yes, he was doing this as a part of his job, but to then celebrate that is first of all, you're, you're, you're masking over the idea that maybe all of those people shouldn't have been killed. Maybe we shouldn't be in this. Like, there's a lot of questions uh, that you're pushing aside by celebrating the title of most sniper kills ever. It just is seems very weird to me. I'm not trying to, you know, belittle anybody's service or anything like that. But that seems like a very bizarre thing to celebrate. To I'm, I'm just going to disagree with you. But, but I'm going to say this. If somebody wants to watch a really interesting film that touches on some of the issues that I'm trying to get at. And maybe I haven't conveyed it as well as I, as I should have. Um, there's a film on the Criterion collection called the two of us. And it's, it's a great film. And it's basically about a boy who's sent away from Nazi occupied. I forget what, what country mm-hmm. to go live with these people, um, out in the country. Um, during, you know, hopefully while the war finishes up, right. So the boy goes to live with these old people and this man especially takes a shine to him, but he's told not to tell them that he's, that he's Jewish. Like this couple is anti-Semitic, you know, and the boy lives with them for a while. The war is over and he has to leave them. And it's about, you know, him having to say goodbye. And it's actually, you know, based on the, on the life of, uh, Louis Malay, Malay. I don't mm-hmm, know how to pronounce mm-hmm, his last name, but mm-hmm. it, it was based on his Isn't experience. It just Louis Mall, Louis Mall. Yeah, mm-hmm. based on his experience growing up, and what the what the film is trying to say, and what I remember in an interview he was saying with it is, <clears throat> you know, how do you judge this man? Was he a good man? Or was he a bad man? Right? He's anti-Semitic, but he also looked after me, right? A Jewish boy, you know, during the war, and he loved me. Right. Like this man loved this boy and stuff. And his point is kind of like he was human. He was human. Right. He was a good man because he had affection for me. He looked after me. Right. Even though he had regrettable ideas about the Jewish people, you know, not saying that he probably would have like hurt the boy or something, but he may not have been as like ready to be like, welcome in, come on in. Right. So I feel like that, that film says more about like how to deal with people who have conflicted personalities, right? How do you celebrate a person's life? Who's 
doesn't all fit in the mold of like, yes, this is something we should celebrate. Right. Sure. Which ultimately is everybody, right? Exactly. Everybody. But I'm not trying to judge Chris Kyle. All I'm saying is I feel like this title of most sniper kills, I just feel like it should be more. I feel like it should be less of a celebrant and more of like a, this is how terrible war is. You know what I mean? It just seems bizarre to me for somebody, for somebody's claim to fame to be the most sniper kills ever. And for people to then also be like, yeah, that's really impressive. Well, look, the the film portrays him as not being comfortable with that. Okay. Like, Like he's called the legend. Sure. And you know, there's even a quip at the, at the end, like he's helping these veterans shoot and they're like, Who's the legend now? And he's like, you don't want that title. Right. You know, so it does have a nuanced view, right? Okay. It, it, right. It, it does. To me, I'm saying, I think Eastwood is trying to portray that in ways that are subtle, but they're there. Mm-hmm. You, you have to purposely blind yourself to it. But at the very end, it does have to be like celebratory, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a fictional story that took cuts elsewhere. Like, why aren't you just going to cut out the fact that he wrote a crazy memoir that probably half of it is not true. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a, a conflicted character. Yeah. And Eastwood made choices. The film is not as jingoistic as people charge it with. And it was affecting. It did affect me. <clears throat> um, do I wish Chris Kyle was a little less kind of uh, a difficult character to love? Yeah. Yes. But, you know, he wasn't. But that was his life, right? So we can either watch it and celebrate it as a man who lived his life and protected this country in a way he thought was right. And uh, Eastwood made a fictional film about it. Okay. A fictional film that's being billed as a non-fictional film. Like every, you know, based on a true story is, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, speaking of wars, you played a game called Pandemic, which I'm assuming has something to do with wars, or maybe not. It has to do with viral outbreaks. Oh, okay. I'll be brief with this one, because I really went long with uh, American Sniper. You're fine. Um, so, basically, we had a couple come over, and they brought Pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, I just have to preface with what I say, that apparently I read the instructions wrong. And I switched some stuff up. Mm-hmm. That is unsubstantiated, though. I, I do not have confirmation. Mm-hmm. But apparently it was told to me the day later they played with somebody else who then told Elise, like, Keith read the directions wrong. Mm-hmm. My version of this game works. Who won the game? We all did. It's actually not a competitive oh. game. Well, boring. Basically, you're trying to stop a viral outbreak of like four diseases, you can choose how many diseases you want to be fighting. Uh-huh. And so each person who plays has a character card that like you're a scientist or you're a viral specialist or whatever. And you have a specific kind of skill that you can bring to the game. And so you're all trying to work together to eliminate and eradicate these pandemics. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to grow and whatever. So, you know, that's so it's basically you all work together mm-hmm. to try and stop these. My version of the game, I'll put up against the official version of the game because it 
it, it all made sense. I don't mm-hmm. know what I got wrong, but what I played was interesting. I mean, I think it's a game that facilitates discussion, which is good. That's one thing I look for in a board game, right? I'm not a huge fan of games that are all game where it's like, everyone shut up mm-hmm. and we're playing this mm-hmm. and you need to focus, right? There's no timer on this. You know, you kind of take turns, you discuss strategy together. People will recommend what they want you to do. And then you make the decision. Okay. This is what we're going to do, um, to fight this pandemic. Uh-huh. And you get to think about what's happening to the general populace. Talk about a game that has, you know, kind of uh, disturbing details that are kind of glossed over. Like as these outbreaks work, you know, work out, you get excited that it doesn't go super viral. But in reality, it probably means like only 10,000 people died instead of 100,000, mm-hmm. you know, which is a funny thing at times to be excited about. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I played it. If you like intensive board games that have a lot of instructions to take time to get going mm-hmm. that are apparently difficult to understand the first time through. Um pandemic's the game for you and even though you weren't playing against anybody it was i mean it's not yeah i guess it can't be competitive right because you're not competing well you're you're competing against the viruses all right yeah you seem it sounds boring to me to be honest I just don't, uh, the whole point is to play against somebody, right? That's, to me, that's the point. I think you've just revealed I like something the competition. Yeah, you just, <laughs> right. just want to beat somebody down. <laughs> no. Keith, just... the point is that you stand over somebody <laughs> and you put your foot on their neck and they beg for mercy, right? Isn't that the point of all games? That's what makes them fun, though, is that you're competing. Is and you that... get to defeat somebody and then you get to go underneath right. the truck with them. Sure. And look at an exhaust fine, system. That's fine, I'll take it better than playing against a board game don't knock until you try it although i'm not going to try it so (laughs) all right you also played royals which is from the um guy who did threes the mobile game threes it's a a pay what you want game and it seems you know it seems like it was created not Mm -hmm. created created (laughs) on excel like it's Mm -hmm. really basic graphics you're kind of moving within this range of, of, you know, this area and you can do different things like, you know, chop down a forest or build a mine or whatever. Your overall goal is you're trying to move from a peasant to a, to royalty. Okay. And that's your, that's your stated goal. But there are other royals who are trying to keep you down and you only have so many years to live. Every turn is a year. So whatever you decide to do, you spend a year chopping down a forest mm-hmm. or you spend a year spelunking in a cave, which, by the way, every cave you find people in, which is really just a bizarre kind of <laughs> narrative touch that uh-huh. back in medieval times, apparently, they're like <laughs> in any cave, you could find three homeless people. Right. A lot of cave people. <laughs> a lot of cave people were were back then. Um but yeah, so then you can totally build your, try and build your realm and defend it and, you know, um, try and win people over or f- kill, you know, fight people or mm-hmm. steal their stuff. So, I mean, I've, I don't like, I guess, to read instructions as much with games like that. I just like to go and yeah, figure it out. Obviously, we, we heard about that with Pandemic. Right. Well, that one I tried to, that's why I don't read instructions. <laughs> that one I tried to read them closely. Uh-huh. I tried to understand everything. 
Um, which it's hard with a first time game because you know everyone's impatient. Everyone's like, "Come on, come on!" It's like I'm trying to read right. and understand in my There's brain. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pressure. So anyway, with this one, I just I just started playing, and uh, I'm slowly figuring it out. I've I've finally figured out how to live longer than to age 29, which uh-huh. is important. <laughs> uh, so I haven't gotten super deep into the game, but it's really well constructed. I mean, Threes is a super well constructed game. Yeah. Um, and this one seems, uh, I don't know if it's like a baseline for something bigger that he's interested, interested in building, but it's pay what you want. So, you know, I usually try and like, you know, throw a few bucks or whatever. Right. But you can and get it's it for a, free. like a Mac and PC download. Mac and PC right. download from his website. Um, <clears throat> I've enjoyed it just as something to kind of pass the time in a, in a curious game to, to, you know, try and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've saw some articles on it. I was thinking about checking it out, but I don't. I'm not able to play a lot of games on my Mac just because of battery, and I just don't use it that much. But we'll see. So, for the listening section, we're gonna have another Jesse Balin update. Yeah, Jesse Balin. Looks like you're already starting to fall asleep. What do you mean? <laughs> I listened to it again, actually cleaning, getting ready for that couple to come over. Oh, okay. I listened to Jesse Balin's album again, mm-hmm. and then select songs since then from the album. Mm-hmm. Um, the final track on the album, Do You Want to Dance, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And The Ringer is great. I now know the titles to these songs. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't see this album going away. <laughs> so uh, here we are moving into May, and Jesse Balin's uh-huh. holding strong. Well, you've still got seven months left, so... It's a long time. Yeah, well, we'll see. That's what that's what the Jesse Balin watch is for. So last week you recommended free to play the Valve documentary. On YouTube. Yeah. And I watched it. Um, and I find it kind of weird that a company is making a documentary about their own event. Right? Doesn't mm-hmm. that seem a little weird? Well, they're trying to promote it. Right. And it is a great promotional tool. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting. Why did you recommend it? What, I mean, what did you, what was your take on it? So the reason why I recommended it is because I'm very interested in one aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about ESPN and Colin Cowherd? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is what, what I find fascinating okay. is this idea of esports. So I wanted to use this documentary as a chance for us to talk about the emergence of esports as okay. a viable sporting kind of event that needs to be televised and Colin Cowherd who needs to leave already. Yeah. He just is a loud mouth. He's yeah. a loud mouth. <laughs> he like threatened to like, I will leave ESPN right. or whatever. And it's like ESPN. I think somebody tweeted this too. I can't remember who or where I saw it, but they were like, so in between the hot dog eating contests and right. the world's strongest men contest right. where people are just hurling tires yeah. down a, a road or whatever. You can't fit in an esports, right. you know, event. Well, he's also done stuff on Madden, on the Madden games. Has he? Well, <laughs> yeah. I see, I, you know, 
Colin Coward again. That's a guy that'd be like, he'd be sh- he's basically shouting these arguments from underneath his own truck. Yeah, exactly. With his, with his buddy, he's the Skip Bayless of the radio. That's all he is. He's right. just another loudmouth. Uh, but I mean, I, the numbers are certainly there. A lot of people love it. I'm not particularly interested. So that was my other question is if you'd be interested in following like the, the next, the international, which is the championship series for Dota is in August after watching this documentary, would you be interested at all in following it? If ESPN covered it? No, I I would only be interested in a game that I played. And that's why, like I spend a lot of time at work, at least I'll have Twitch on in the background with somebody playing destiny because destiny is the game that I played. But that's what I'm saying is you already watched Twitch. So, I mean, what, yeah, what, what's the difference between, watching Twitch and then watching, you know, a group compete. Yeah. It's for the same. Like millions and that's what I'm saying. Adults. If it's a game that I played, I would watch it. If they did, if they were having like a destiny tournament, the things that I do and don't watch are so limited anyways. So it's like, we're watching, uh, the finals because the NBA playoffs are on. We watch survivor once a week and that's, kind of all I I watch unless I make it a point to watch this movie or watch this television show uh, outside of that I'm either outside of that if I'm doing s- any sort of media thing it's playing destiny so I mean if they had a tournament and it was like live during my work hours <laughs> I would watch it <laughs> but if they were having a tournament it was like from six to seven, when I'm when we're eating dinner or I'm playing with my girls, I'm not going to watch it. You wouldn't even like DVR it to watch later just to see no. what's what's going. On. I will say in the documentary, that's, the, and that's the thing. You can, that's the disagreement we have. You cannot DVR sports. It's there's no point in watching a game on DVR when you can just look the score up to see what the score not was gonna, to see who won. You're not going to derail me from my discussion of <laughs> esports as a viable sporting event. But I will say you can DVR it because if you don't know the score, the fun is watching the game play out. So the fun is watching the game play out in real time as it's happening because it's a it's an event. You're experiencing it as it's happening along with millions of other people. It's not like you're not watching a narrative. All right, we won't go into it. Yeah, we won't go into okay. it because I totally disagree. All right. Okay, so anyway, um, the the other aspect that, well, and this is what I'll say about the documentary. The biggest knock against esports as a viable sporting event probably are the people who go and watch the international. I don't know if you saw them, but they were like a group of five guys like laying down in the front row with their heads on like, pillows like looking up at the screen and i was like okay those guys need to not do that we need to find a way to put those screens in a place where you can comfortably see it with your head and neck instead of lying on the floor like that that needs to stop but i will say that i think what the documentary showed me and what's happening like i read an article that a coach is trying to get like a League of Legends, I think is the name of the of the game. Like mm-hmm. a League of Legends team together. Mm-hmm. 
at at his public school and trying to get this like public school district to get League of Legends like teams that can compete just like any other sporting event would between schools. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you feel about that as a not just ESPN showing it, but do you think esports can and should be recognized as a viable sporting event, even in the in the school district, or or like what one person says in the documentary, as an Olympic sport potentially. Uh, uh, well, I mean, look, I really don't care about the Olympics. Don't watch the Olympics. It, Pretend it doesn't strike me as an Olympic sport, really. Um. Just because, like, chess isn't an Olympic sport. You know what I mean? Because the, uh, from my understanding, Olympic sports are all physical. You're doing very physical activities, right? It's sort they're tests of endurance, physical your physical capability, stuff like that. Like, 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 chess is not in the Olympics, and that to me is the closest. Uh, comparison to video games is something like chess I, I feel like chess could very well be in the in the olympics though i mean i don't see how that is not as mentally draining and straining as swim as fast as you can from there and back go well mentally sure but physically it's not well i mean fine if i say mentally exhausting as is physically exhausting to swim you know four laps in a pool look if you tell me, would you rather play Destiny for 12 hours a day or would you rather train uh, for a marathon 12 hours a day? I'm going to play Destiny every single time. Right. And that's not just because I like Destiny more than running. It's because I would be vomiting after 45 minutes of marathon training. <laughs> right. Because I would be physically incapable of doing it. Yeah, anybody so could sit down with a video game and play a video game for twelve hours, just on a practical level. Right, you may pra- not do it well, but you could still do it. Right, I have no problem with with high school teams doing it. This is this is the biggest problem I see with esports is if you know the rules to football, you can sit down and watch any football game and enjoy it. Whereas if you know the rules to destiny and only destiny if you sit down to watch dota you're going to have no idea what's going on and it's up to the announcers to fill you in on that so it's not like you can't just list video games as a sport because each individual game game. is its sport even the rules from league of legends to dota are going to be different right and as someone i've never played any of those games I watched the documentary and I was not lost because the documentary does a good job explaining it. But at the same time, and so this is the other problem I have with it as like a, as, as like a nationally televised thing, not just the rules being different for every single game that it goes to is let's take a game that's, that's fairly straightforward like destiny or any first person shooter where the goal of, competitive play ultimately is just to kill the other guy or beat the other team or hold this space right right? you then run into the problem of well who do you watch and this is something that kind of bugged me during the free-to-play stuff is when you're watching these matches you the esports stuff it jumps around 
you know, there's there's 10 people playing the game. And so you're constantly jumping around from different perspectives because you can't get one singular view of everybody playing like you can when you're watching football or basketball or even in golf where individuals are playing, but the sport is set up in a way that you can watch one guy take his hit and then go and watch another guy take his hit. Whereas you can't watch one guy run through a shooter and kill somebody and then go back to that person who got killed's perspective and see them get, you know what I mean? The game just keeps moving on. So it's like, are you watching one person the entire time? Are you jumping around between all 10 people? Because I hate that. I would rather just watch one person play the game and see what they do. And preferably that would be, you know, the best person playing. Well, I guess I would say this. There are in, in this age, day and age where like with NFL coverage, you literally have channels where you could do that. You could watch Andy Reid is on camera like the full time. <laughs> and there's, I don't even know what, I forget what the channel's called, but there's a channel that will like inbox all of that. It's like, here's Andy Reid. Here's what, and it's right. like the game is its own small box, right? There are people who like to watch games compartmentalized like that. I feel like there there is an ability in the way that people consume visually sports now, which is, getting more and more fragmented where you could give people the choice of being like, who do you, here's all the action going on. You choose who you want to see, or you'd have to have the, um, the, the announcers curated, you know? So they'd have to be watching, identifying like, Oh, it's interesting. What blah, blah is doing over here. Let's, let's follow him. You know? Cause I think I can see what he's trying to do over here or whatever. In terms of the of each game as its own sport, I find that interesting. If you don't have too complicated a game, then you could just in the beginning be like, here are the rules, here are the situations. Sure. Like, this is what it's about. And each game could bring about its own kind of unique flavor to it. So you're not watching the same event again and again and again. It's a sport that minorly changes yeah. in the game. And I, that's more of a mass appeal issue for me than anything. I just don't see, I see that as being a barrier to entry for people just because, you know, how many times has Elise let you know that she has no idea what is going on in a football game? You know, I've watched football games with Julia and it's, I'm constantly trying to explain to her, how does this work? And sometimes I don't even have the answer because it's like, yeah, these things change or they're complicating just as like, I just don't see it as like, okay, here's the, okay, I finally understand the rules to this game. Now I have to learn a completely new rule set for this other game. Well, what if you have seasons? Sure. Yeah. The Destiny season is then followed by the Dota 2 season, which is then leads into the whatever season. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm intrigued and watching the documentary, I think, showed me that there's enough of a narrative that would keep me interested. Also, I have a son who's getting more and more interested in games, like yeah. in gaming specifically. The idea of soccer is horrifying to him. But the really? idea of, yeah, he cried when we were like, <laughs> we're signing up for soccer. He couldn't deal with it. Uh-huh. He, you know? But if we said, hey, we're signing up for a Minecraft, right. you know, uh, club, uh-huh. he would freak out, yeah. you know. Um, and I feel like if you look at 
what sports are trying to do, teamwork and all that stuff. I feel like it's all there. It's all there in, in, in sports. If you want a physical um, uh, element, just have CrossFit sponsor a, uh, <laughs> a gaming event. And then you'll have them throwing a log and then picking up a controller and playing a level of Mario and then jumping into ice cold water and coming out and doing a old Nintendo trackpad run, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think the legitimacy is there. I'm not trying to, I, would, I wouldn't I would argue against that. Like I said, I think the closest comparison to me is chess because it's like you're, you're you know, you're having these encounters and you're trying to figure them out, basically. You're trying to win the encounter is how I approach it. And that competition is what is most interesting to me. Or it's like poker. I mean, sure. I, I compare it to like, you know, I used to watch like the World Series of Poker and there are narratives that that arise out of that, you know, and a lot of that is luck. Yeah. You know, it's just like, did your guy get the card or not? Nope, he didn't. OK, he's going home. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the last thing I'll say is I think the one thing that spoke to me in the documentary are these players push to get a viable living out of it. They found yeah. that admirable. And I want them to have that. You know, I would I would love if my son got as connected to games as some of these people are, then I would love to encourage that and to see a legitimate space for him to go into and say, this is what I want to do with games. Like, this is how I want to compete and earn a living mm-hmm. with games. Like, I'd love for him to have that opportunity. And I don't see a barrier for why he shouldn't be able to do that there's there's an interest there and the international now i think you know in 2010 the the when the documentary was filmed the purse was 1.5 million Mm -hmm. now i think the purse is close to 10 million Mm -hmm. and it's just what four years later three years later you know so i mean i think the interest is there i think it's growing you're not like trying to make something grow out of dry sand right um but it but it annoys me too when people like Colin coward try and treat treat it like you know they're trying to make oranges grow on apple trees this is crazy I'll, I'll quit you know it's like well i will say i was surprised to see it on i can't remember what day it was or what we were i think we might have been trying to find one of the playoff games and i just turned it to espn2 or whatever and they were having that tournament and i just was like whoa this is weird that this is on <laughs> um but so my recommendation is also video game based uh you for a while or a few weeks ago had been asking me about pt yes and i don't know if you've seen all the news to come out recently about pt it got taken away it's been taken down all this stuff the game that it's a was a teaser for has been canceled. Uh, Kojima has left Konami after decades of working there. So it's all fallen apart. So the, the, all of this PT stuff is for not at this point, but it is still super interesting and it is still, um, I think it really, uh, clings on to this idea of an unsolvable puzzle that's presented to a community who then tries to solve it, right? So I have created a YouTube playlist for you to watch. <laughs> uh, and it's it's long, and it's long, 
the length of it, the time, the time, uh, the time commitment is a bit long, but I will say the first video is of people from rooster teeth. So my biggest problem was in constructing the playlist is like, how does this get presented? Do I try and find a quality video of somebody playing this for the first time? Because the way I experienced it was, you know, two years ago or whenever it was when it came out, you know, I saw the Twitter or I saw the tweets or what I saw the headlines or whatever they're saying was like PlayStation just relieved this mysterious demo and now people are trying to solve it. So I started watching it right off the bat. I was watching people play it live right off the bat, speaking to the esports thing, trying to figure it out. And then within a few hours, a few days, people had started beating it and were trying to actually figure out how you how the mechanics worked. So I found what I thought was the best live playthrough for the first time. And so that's it's a Rooster Teeth playthrough. I would say you can watch the first like 20 minutes of it and then move on unless you want to watch the whole thing's an hour long. They don't beat it. But All they right, just so play. There's it. an hour there. So right. that's an hour if you want to watch it. I would say you. I'm watching. Yeah. Okay, you could get, but I will say I think you can get everything you're going to get from it out of the first 20 minutes, uh, and then after that there is somebody just playing through it from start to finish with no commentary. So it's about 30 minutes long, just a 30 minute long playthrough, and then there's the final three videos. One of them. Uh, Breaks down the mechanics of the final puzzle, which was the hardest one for everyone to figure out. The next one explores all of the themes throughout the entire demo. And then the last one just came out a couple days before all of the cancellation news was announced. And it was somebody making all of these like totally random but completely sensical connections and it all makes sense. And it, it's just, is one of those things where it's like, um, I think it was, it's true detective where this has come up before, but it just is like this personal thing with all of these references that Kojima probably had stored up. And then he just dumped in this one demo and it was mm-hmm. like somehow somebody made sense of all of it and made all those connections. That's what it seems like at least. Uh, so that's my recommendation. All right, a long recommendation to go I'm along excited. with a long YouTube playlist. Yeah, I'm super so excited. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll email that to you. Um, so you've been listening to Everything Is Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm at I'm on Twitter at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm in the process of changing my my Twitter handle. Did you see that? No. Um, so the at things come right. out. Can you change that? Yeah. You can, because mm-hmm. I changed the first part before it. So you changed your, what, just like your username or whatever? Right, or is your that display it? I, name? Yeah, I don't even know what the difference is. So the, I'm still at things yeah. come right, but soon I'm going to reverse it. Right now my, my display name or whatever mm-hmm. is uh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> From that Fergie video? <laughs> From the Fergie video of where uh-huh. she randomly starts to do a... <laughs> One-handed somersault or whatever it is. If you listen on head, you pointed this out, is the grunt that she makes (laughs) after. And there's a point in the song where it's just like, no, she's repeating, no, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. And just randomly springs into this one-handed thing. You just hear a, no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, you hear her. She goes, 
no, no, no. <laughs> you can hear her like grunt her way. But she's also doing these insane one-handed somersaults. Like, it's so weird. I so, tried to find that whole performance, but I couldn't find it. Oh, no, you'll need to. Yeah. Not with that. So, yeah, right well, now. She immediately then immediately goes into, like, Welcome to the Jungle or something. And I was like, I have got to hear this whole thing. I, but I couldn't find it. Well, I mean, it even starts with her, like, on the floor. And you can yeah. see that she's about to do something very sexual. Oh, yeah. But then she's I think making she's, sex noises. Right. But then I think she, like, looks around. She's like. Oh, this is the Today oh, yeah. Show. I, yeah, I want there Good Morning tr- America. <laughs> I'm on Good Morning America. It's like 7 a.m. right now. <laughs> so then she just like stands up. Like right. it's just like an awkward transition from like I'm kind of rolling on the floor, but now maybe I made eye contact with a six-year-old. <laughs> so now I'm up. But then whatever caused her to then do one-handed yeah. somersaults. Who knows? Oh, it's just it's magical. Yeah. So I'm trying to find a way to transcribe that. I'm still at things come right. Okay. But soon, hopefully, I'll be uh, no, no, no. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get an update on that, uh, hopefully. So, uh, I guess that's it. We don't have any plans for next week's show. Maybe we'll see Ex Machina, right? Yeah, that, that's my idea. I want to <clears throat> do a do a full kind of double date Ex Machina okay. screening. So, uh, maybe we will. Maybe, maybe we, we won't. won't. You'll find out next time on Everything is Interesting.